St. Dominic's Catholic Church in San Francisco presents the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, on December 31st, 2020. We have reflections with Brother Jordan and Brother Cassian, and our Gospel and homilist is Father Anthony Rosevear. is born to us. The Son is given to us. Upon his shoulder, dominion rests. They name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. Who still believe in peace today? Who still believe in peace? We pray for peace on earth. We pray for a civilization of love and peace. These are expressions that don't awake a lot of fervor in me. Because by the moment these intentions are brought up, they hit this wall of cynicism in me. Why should I pray for something that will never happen? But after all, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe peace on earth is possible. The Prince of Peace and the Queen of Peace can make it happen. But at the root of my negative reaction to those petitions, maybe there is something true there. It appears to me that a large number of the people who wish world peace, maybe we can call them the gift peace of chance people, it appears that those people think that world peace can happen by some sort of mega social contract, producing a sudden and collective cheering for this message. Let's choose love and stop hating each other. Let me tell you, this abstract peace revolution is never going to happen. And even if everybody was to agree on peace and what peace really means, we all have the experience that very often we don't do the good, the good we want to do. I experience every day that I am not even able to accord with myself, to always act and speak in coherence with the convictions I have. To say it gently, the humanist project for peace is simply blind about our fallen nature and our need for God's grace. But it is also blind about the idea that peace on a bigger level cannot happen without peace on a smaller level. How should we strive for, for political peace if we don't have first some kind of interior peace and domestic peace, peace within ourselves, peace in our houses. How do you expect to have order in the whole if the parts themselves are in disorder? If you want to work for peace on earth, it has to begin on a smaller level. But first of all, 
What is peace? Peace is more than only concord. Concord, as the word is suggesting, is about two arts or more that agree on something. Cum co, cum co is concord. It's about arts that are united in the love of the same object, whatever it is. For example, two parents who want to educate their children in the Catholic faith. But concord can also exist between people who agree on bad things. For example, two criminals agree to rob a bank together. But at the difference of concord, peace is not only about some people agreeing on something, it is also about people agreeing on something that is truly good for them and for others. Peace is a concord that does not suffer any disorder. Two disorders that can distinguish concord and peace. One, when the concord is built by means of fear or force. Example, when an employer asks his employee to do dangerous things under the threat of firing him. Both of them do come to an agreement, that's right, but only because of fear. The concord is only exterior, but not interior. The heart is not there. There's no peace there. Second disorder that distinguishes concord from, from peace. When an agreement is made, but according to disordered good, leaving all the place to the passions. How many couples are sticking together only because Mr. has a lot of cash and Mrs. is very beautiful? Too many. There's no peace there. Sooner or later, rivalries, jealousy, and hate arise sooner or later. Peace is a concord that does not suffer any disorder like that. But when does peace really reign? When does charity really reign? It's not the same question, but it is connected. Because peace is essentially an effect of charity. Some might say that justice is the proper cause of peace. They say, when everything will be just in the world, then there will be peace in the world. Not yet. Justice only removes obstacles to peace but it is not a direct cause of peace. If you don't have any depth towards others, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a friendship with them. The difference between justice and charity is the same than the difference between being even with someone and being friend with someone. 
Charity is truly the virtue that produces peace. It is charity that creates union with God and between us. You probably know the expression, charity begins at home. There's a lot of truth in that proverb. It is first and foremost with those who live with us that we have to exercise charity and to build peace. The Holy Family of Nazareth gives us a perfect example of that. They give us a model for common life. For this new year, do not be afraid to go further than only justice with others. Seek charity, seek friendship, get interested in people, in who they are, in, in what they live. Share the best of yourself and express your desire to receive the best of others. Go beyond your fear of confrontation and talk about real things. Stop to avoid touchy subjects and old stories with those you love the most. And deal with it. Deal with it. And overall, forgive. At the hospital, and the day just before dying, do you know what gets people the more anxious? They say, I wish I had been able to reconnect with my son. I wish I could get to forgive him and that he could forgive me. Overall, forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. Charity with others is all about that. Do all these things and you will truly give peace a chance. Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Tonight, we celebrate the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. And the church invites us to contemplate the significance of this sublime dogma, not for the sake of warm sentimentality, but rather for the truth that it guards. The early church learned quickly that an attack on Mary's motherhood is also an attack on Jesus. See, motherhood finds its object in a person, not in a nature. Mary is not the mother of the divine nature, nor is she the mother of human nature, but rather she is the mother of a person, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is both fully human and fully God. Therefore, to say that Mary is not the mother of God is equivalent to saying that Jesus himself is not God. This is the heresy that the church condemned when it solemnly declared Mary to be Theotokos, the God-bearer, at the Council of Ephesus in the year 431. 
that verse from Luke comes from the gospel tonight. And Mary kept all the things, reflecting on them in her heart. I think it beautifully illustrates Mary to be this woman of contemplative prayer. And so I would like to spend a moment reflecting on the mystery of Mary as God-bearer in reference to a specific form of Christian prayer called the indwelling of the Holy Trinity. A few weeks ago, around Thanksgiving time, I was talking with a man that I had met about the significance of gratitude. He was not a Christian, but he said something to me that was very interesting. He said, with all sincerity, that every time he sits down to eat a meal, he prays in thanksgiving to the spirit of the animal or the plant that's on his plate, the spirit of the mountains, the fields, the sky, and so on. Now, it's kind of a strange way to pray, um, but I do commend his gratitude. Nonetheless, it occurred to me that um, among the native and, and pagan religious traditions, Prayer is directed to some spiritual being that is, that is imagined to be out there. It's, it's out in the field or in the sky, on a mountain, or some other dimension or wherever. But the Christian prayer is different in that when we pray, we pray to the one true God who dwells within us. We speak of God's presence often. But sometimes it's helpful to, to consider the different ways in which God is present to the world. On one level, first we say God is omnipresent, that he is present in all things, because he communicates existence to all things. Without God's presence in this sense, things would simply blink out of existence. But God is present in a special way to rational creatures. To human beings by virtue and dignity of us being made in God's image. We are marked with the Trinity in a unique way from all other earthly creatures. St. Augustine, early church father, taught that the mind is an image of the Trinity in its own memory, its understanding, and its will. If we think about that, maybe that strikes us as odd to hear of a Trinitarian correlation to human consciousness. But we should not be at all surprised when we recognize triune structures in a world that was created by a triune God. As many of us uh, parishioners and, and members at St. Dominic's might have noticed, uh, our pastor, Father Michael, has a, a special fondness for the number three. He uses that in a lot of his explanations and teachings. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad for us to be eager to see the world in sets of three, since they might be hidden traces of the Trinity. So God is present to all humans, as though he were reflected in our own nature. But now baptism. As baptized persons, we become grafted onto the very life source of the Trinity. What was merely an image in us of the Trinity before baptism obtains a qualitatively higher reality in us after baptism. That Trinitarian image in us, our mind, 
in our mind, our understanding, uh, our memory, and our will become animated by the divine energy of God's grace, become alive in the Trinity. We are plugged into God, so to speak. Therefore, baptized Christians who are in the state of grace receive this capacity to pray as no other person on earth can pray. This prayer is sometimes called the, the indwelling of the Holy Trinity or the prayer of recollection, but it's essentially divine contemplation. When we practice this prayer, we withdraw from our exterior senses, shutting that door on the inner chamber, and we encounter God in the silent, quiet heaven of our soul. We no longer speak to God as if he were outside of us somewhere up in the sky or something like that. No, the triune God dwells and abides in each of us in that silent monastery of our own heart. There, we may commune with our blessed Lord at length, ponder his mysteries, receive infusions of love and understanding, and there we experience time beginning to dissolve away into eternity. The great teachers of prayer knew this and taught this form of prayer, especially the Carmelite saints, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Therese, and the somewhat lesser known Elizabeth of the Trinity. This is the path towards divine intimacy, the soul of the Christian interior life. But no Christian did this as perfectly as the first Christian, Mary. She, in hiddenness and humility, pondered all these mysteries, reflecting on them in the silence of her heart. She is the exemplar model for us of how to pray this indwelling of the Trinity. Mary, who enjoyed the fullest measure of grace since that first moment of her immaculate conception, welcomed the indwelling of the Holy Trinity so completely, so thoroughly, that God himself incarnated in her womb, and she became Theotokos, God-bearer. In the mission of the church, God has so ordained it that the incarnation, which happened once and for all through Mary in the person of Jesus Christ, must now take place in a unique way in each of his children, us, throughout the world. For that is what it means to be Christian, right? To be other Christs. We must imitate Mary's example of prayer, welcoming and contemplating the Trinity, dwelling the Trinity that dwells within us, so that Christ might come alive in us. And one day, we might be able to say that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they had made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus 
the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. mentioned Father Michael, our pastor. All of us are very familiar with him, especially in his announcements on Sunday when he concludes the announcements and says, I can't think of a better way to begin but after having received the Eucharist. So I'd like to take a page from his book and say, I can't think of a better way for us to begin this new year, a new year unknown to us. Who would have thought last year when we had this celebration, what was ahead of us in the year? So we begin consecrating the year to the Lord, lifting the body and blood of Christ over the community, into our hearts, over our lives, so that we remain close to him. We begin as Christians this new year with God, not just in celebrating as the world would want to do, but with God. We begin with thanksgiving. So we're conscious of the gifts that we've been given even in difficult times, this tremendously difficult year that we've just been through. Yet we've been sustained in many ways, in little ways and in great ways, and blessed. In my own life, I've discovered oftentimes that some of the greatest gifts I have, I realize that I have those gifts when they're taken away, when I don't have the ability to touch them any longer. And so even in the lack that we've experienced this year, we know the good things that we have and the good people that we have that we're distant from and we treasure in our lives. So we are thankful to the Lord for the blessings that he has given to us. And we look toward God's provident love to guide us on the unknown road ahead, the mysterious road for us. May he keep us strong in whatever we face. So we begin with the first feast of the new year, which is this feast of our mother, Mary. Happy Mother's Day. So we celebrate this great mother of ours that is given to us. It's the oldest Marian feast that we have in our liturgy. So she's been given to us from the face of the cross. She gave us the Lord, the very flesh and blood that was given for us on the cross. No one is closer to him than she is, even as brother mentioned, Theotokos, the God-bearer, how she knew Jesus, knowing him those 30 years in that home in Nazareth, and then following him, hearing what he did, his preaching, following him all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb, this mother of ours who knew him deeply, deeply. She is truly the God-bearer, and in calling her that, we're reminded of our own vocations, that we are called to be the bearers of the Lord's presence into our world, a very dark world in this present time. So the way we live, the way we act, the words we speak, to really bring the Lord's presence into others' lives around us. So we struggle for peace, as Brother Jordan said, and a peace that begins in our own individual hearts and in our own individual homes. And that begins with that prayer that Brother Cashin mentioned, of that indwelling of the Trinity, opening our hearts ever more deeply to the Lord who is that intimate to us, so close to us, not out there, excuse me, in the clouds, but in our very hearts by our baptism, that we might spiritually see him more clearly in others around us, 
and in all the occurrences of our life every single day. His grace enables us to have sight in this way. We treasure the word made flesh when we celebrate in this Christmas season. Our salvation brought to us by Mary, our mother. That word spoken to, into our lives and will be spoken into our lives in many different circumstances, many different days in the coming weeks and coming months. And just like Mary, we must listen and respond. Because the word Jesus, in all the difficulties we experience, in all the joys we experience, he is speaking to us. He is present to us in our life. Now, I want to do something that I did last year at this time. And it is choosing one word for the new year. The word is the word that we celebrate as Jesus Christ. And so words are very important for us. And to choose a word that will follow you throughout the entire year and focus your year. So a word that encompasses how you want to approach this new year. It might be the word discipline. These are not resolutions for the year, but something that characterizes that you return to in difficult times and in joyful times. It might be the word relax. Maybe that's what you most need interiorly and exteriorly. It gives you a focus on how you approach all the aspects of your life in this one year. It helps you determine the kind of person that you want to become. With just one word, you can view all situations that come up over the next year through your word. So think it over for a while. It doesn't have to be chosen this evening. But to pray about it, even asking the Lord in your own prayer, what is that word? I remember last year, the word that I chose that popped into my mind days after the New Year's celebration was risk. I'm a shyer sort of person, so I need to risk myself more. And I think that was a push on the part of the Lord to risk myself more. So risk. Think it over for a while. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to reveal to you that word that will be a focus for you in your life throughout this year. It may be joy. It may be detach. It may be listen, pray, breathe. Persevere, care, aware, forgive, dare, gratitude, forgiveness, hope. Many different words. But if you open your heart to the Lord who dwells within your own heart, in your own spirit, he will speak to you that word and guide you in that throughout the year. The other thing I would say is to choose a saint. It was surprising to me, my saint this past year was St. Bernadette of Lourdes. And she just popped into my mind one day after the new year. And I don't have a particular devotion to Bernadette, but it was a wonderful experience to know her a little more and to pray through her intercession. So to choose some saint or allow them to choose you, most often in my experience, the saints choose us, we don't necessarily choose them. So to allow one of the saints to choose you to be your particular companion in all you endure and experience and are joyful about in this coming year. So as we continue with our mass, open your lives more and more to the Lord because he has opened his life to you and drawn you toward his sacred heart. He wants to be there with you to give you the strength that you need in all you face 
and to be the source of all the joy that you have in your life. May he follow you and you follow him every day of this year.